The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. And today I'm very excited to have as my guest, Sean Casemore. We'll be discussing capitalizing employee empowerment and leveraging that to build a business that customers value. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Sean. He is a thought leader, author, and president of Case Moore & Co. For over two decades, Sean's been helping organizations and associations improve their leadership and operational effectiveness. His experience includes working with organizations such as PepsiCo, CN Rail, and Spectra Energy, as well as associations like Certified Management Accountants and the Institute of Supply Management. Today, Sean travels the globe helping organizations to improve their productivity, enhance leadership and team engagement, and maximize customer value. So, Sean, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thanks for having me, Olivia. It's uh, great to be here today. Thank you. So in today's high-tech global economy, most businesses have access to the same equipment, technology, and processes. And this has really leveled the playing field in a lot of industries. And the only differentiator is the employees, specifically the quality of the employees along with their attitudes and levels of engagement. So you say that businesses should capitalize employee empowerment. How do you find, define empowerment in this case? Well, to me, empowerment is providing employees with the permission, the authority, and the knowledge and support to actually take action themselves. So this isn't a matter of being told what to do. This is a matter of them being empowered to do what they need to do to affect the operation, to affect the business. Hmm. So what do you think are some of the challenges that companies have when they take this on or, or actually empower? Like, why do you think companies don't do this now? I, I don't think it aligns with the, our historic understanding of, um, you know, if you think about the business hierarchy today, it, it's a top-down hierarchy. And, and even for companies that try to change that, uh, we're, we're, we're gearing companies towards managing people, not having people manage the companies, if you will. So we've mm-hmm. got the wrong perspective We've got the wrong structure, and therefore it seems like an overwhelming or daunting task to really affect empowerment. Hmm. Well, so why, why do you think it's important? So if a company is say that they're resisting this because they've got that old top-down hierarchy, what would you say to a leader would be the benefit of perhaps giving up some of that power and giving it to the employees to, to make decisions and have their own authority? What, how would you argue that to a leader? Well, it, it's, a, it's a challenging argument to have. And I mean, there are reams of studies that support that empowered and engaged employees are more productive employees. And more productive employees means that I can do more than my competitors with the same equipment, the same technology, and ultimately the same number of of people. Well, do you think so? The, the challenge becomes in in quantifying. No, I was just going to say that Olivia. The challenge really becomes in quantifying for business leaders. You know, engagement and empowerment seem like fuzzy terms. Mm-hmm. You know, sh- show me the numbers. Show me how this is going to help. But the challenge becomes the only way to show them is to do like a pilot program where you actually take a group or a business unit and actually empower those employees. Obviously, it's 
a little bit more complex than we're explaining here, but empower them to actually manage themselves and manage their business unit and to see the difference in results. You know, the, the challenge I think most HR professionals face is they recognize the value in, in, in empowerment and in, in engagement, but they're working with CEOs and business owners who really are more focused on the numbers and, and rightfully so. And that's where the gap exists and that's where you need to focus efforts in order to try and sway their opinions uh, to have them believe that and, and, and try empowerment. Well, so I want to dig in a little bit to the quantifying, but before we do that, does it make sense to you that by empowering people, you are creating the engagement? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I, to me, I mean, engagement is is more an outcome, and that's mm. what happens today. A lot of companies, they're, they're, I mean, they're businesses that have built themselves uh, based on doing imp- uh, engagement surveys and then mm-hmm. providing those results. But to me, to engage somebody means that, that I have their heart and their mind uh, in the business. And, and in order to do that, I have to allow them the opportunity to make decisions, to feel like they have input on where the business is going, and to feel like their opinions really do matter and that they're being heard. And, and so those are really factors of and or outcomes of empowerment. So to achieve engagement, to me, empowerment is one of the critical aspects uh, that needs to be in place. Right. Well, so do you have any examples of companies where you did this and maybe some statistics or numbers that would show pr- improvement that, that could be actually attributed to employee employees being empowered and how it affected the bottom line? Yeah, I mean, one example that comes to mind, Olivia, was um, some more. Now, now I'm, you know, I'll be up front. I'm not going to take the sole credit for this because in the uh, age of empowerment, it really is the employees taking action on their own here. But uh, I did some work with PepsiCo last year where we took a bunch of frontline supervisors, fairly new young employees, eager. Um, and what was happening is they were slowly, continuously uh, taking on more and more work themselves as new leaders, as demands from the senior leaders came about and as employees pushed back. But what we spent time on helping them realize is that much of the tasks they were doing are things that could be delegated to employees. And in doing so, they would actually help employees. They would help them learn more about the business. They'd help them feel like they're contributing. So in essence, what we were able to do is shift their perspectives on the value of empowerment. And we did that with senior leaders in the room who approved the tasks right then and there that they were going to actually delegate. We set up the process for them doing so. And even just walking out of the session, they felt dramatically better. And when we met again later, many of them said that they'd freed up a significant amount of their time and had actually seen increased morale or improved morale within their teams. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, I I think it's a rare person that doesn't get more enthusiastic about what they're doing when they feel valued and empowered and actually given credit for maybe what gifts they're bringing through. So that's, that's great. Um, so have you been in a situation? So one of the things I hear is that leaders sometimes don't like to give up the control. Have you ever been in a situation where the, the, some leaders or maybe senior leadership knows this is what's needed, but some of the high-powered people on the team don't like giving up their control. Maybe they may have control issues, to put it bluntly. Have you seen that? Yeah, I mean, here's I, – I'm definitely not a psychologist, but I do quite a bit of work in, in individual development as well as organizational development. And if you go back to some of the very basic studies of, of human behavioral styles that date back to uh, William Marsden, you know, the idea that – a lot of people have a different behavioral style. There's, you know, he studied or he identified four predominant styles. And I've found time and again that a lot of supervisors, managers, are, you know, have a lot of characteristics about being dominant in their personality. And, and I think that's mm-hmm. what helps them rise to the top. When the, when the uh, posting goes up or when there's a selection to be made, most logical people look for the person that stands out, that wants to get things done, that focuses on results. So I run into a lot of people who are very demanding and dominant and tend to believe they can do it themselves and they know what the right way is. So what I find, and it's a little bit counterintuitive, but the best starting point is really to help those business leaders understand the influence of their own personal behaviors and thinking styles, what that has on the employees. And once you've got that realization built through you 
using different assessments and tools, now you're in the best position to help them realize how empowerment can not only help them but help the business. But the first step you, in order to break through is kind of, if, if you will, putting that mirror on them to help mm. them really realize the impact and influence they have on others. Well, so I'm curious because I think sometimes people really have a hard time. Do they end up sometimes needing coaching or do people just say, this isn't working for me, I'm going to go find a job somewhere else? Have, the, have those things happened? Yeah, both. Um, it, you know, sometimes there's situations where an individual, for whatever reason, is not willing to, you know, entertain empowerment. They've been in the role too long. They have experience that they believe, um, you know, supersedes any experience of any employee in the team, whatever the case is. And either they decide to leave or in some cases I've, you know, said, well, look, if you really want to move forward, you're going to have to let this person go or move them to another area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, I found, you know, 80, 90 percent of people, once they realize their own styles, behavioral styles, thinking styles, and the impact that that has on other people, then they're in a good position to, you know, open up relative to, you know, entertaining the idea of empowerment. Well, so do you then also advocate that they understand the thinking styles and the, I guess, work styles of the employees they're managing? Does that also help? Yeah, it it does. But, you know, I I think before I I ever have them look at the different styles of people, I ask them to actually consider the different styles of the employees, or sorry, of themselves, you know, because it all has to start with an understanding of ourselves first. That's true. And do they sometimes have the whole team undergo some, I don't know, coaching or like, I I could imagine you'd have a, a team member who's almost afraid to take on that empowered role, even though it might feel good, they may not have the skill set. So does that often include sometimes training for the employees? Yeah, I mean, you have to introduce the concept of empowerment, the value it brings, but like most initiatives, if I can use that word, most employees will roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. So it really is something that you need to enact. You just need to start to you know, delegate to employees, ask them for their opinion, get them involved, see what type of training they need, look at cross-functional work groups and cross-functional training in order to develop skills. You're, you're better to start enacting some of those things rather than talk a lot about empowerment because then it will naturally evolve. Oh, okay. Well, so what is the most... What are some of the most significant mistakes companies make when they're trying to empower their employees? Uh, to me, it's, it's like anything else. It's often too much too soon. You know, you, you expect like any initiative that we're going to do this. It's going to take three months, six months, eight months, and then we're, we're going to be all good and perfect. And it doesn't really work that way. You know, if you think about the cycle of change, um, and I think John Cotter first presented the idea that there's four phases to every change. But every time you change an individual or part of a team, uh, that team tends to go back to really exploring the roots and everybody trying to get comfortable again. So it's difficult to affect empowerment and to see a dramatic change. What you will see is a slow evolution over time. So if you go back year over year and measure results, you'll actually see results. But if you go back in three, six months and expect to see something dramatic have changed, the chances there are it has not changed such that you can really recognize it at that, at that time. And again, that's another reason why a lot of organizations tend to, to not focus too much on empowerment because it's not a quick hit. We can't mm-hmm. go and buy it in a store, install it, and expect it's going to have better results for us. Yeah, and the investment wouldn't necessarily be returned within that quarter, which is a pressure a lot of companies deal with. That's interesting. I also think... Yeah, yeah and even the investment within that year, it's, it's hard to measure. Yeah, right, because it'd probably be several years, as you said. And also, I think that's interesting because if you're approaching change, what I think happens, and I'd love to know your thoughts about this, is when you're creating empowered employees, you're not just getting through a change, but you're actually allowing the company to be agile for ongoing change. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think what what organizations, uh, business leaders, business owners need to think about today is the fact that the younger generations coming into the workforce uh, they expect to interact with other people. They expect to communicate more frequently. They don't respect authority as mm. previous generations have. And therefore, empowerment, I think, uh, is not going to be an option but a necessity if you're going to retain millennials. And again, the, the next generation, I think Generation Z is what they're being termed, uh, mm. if you're going to actually retain them in the future because 
they will not be receptive to top-down managerial styles. I think we're in the next 10 to 15 years, we're in for a significant shift in how businesses operate and, and how, uh, you know, the, the whole leadership structure of organizations, you know, what's effective versus what's not. Oh, that's interesting because I have been hearing a lot about younger generations having just different styles, their brains are developing differently i think because of all the connectivity culturally and who knows if there's an evolutionary component to this so uh yeah i think that they're used to being empowered perhaps through knowledge and technology that we didn't get or i didn't for sure when i was really young and in some ways that could be threatening for companies that do like control but i think for the ones and we could probably see in Google and Apple and a lot of these companies that that get these young, smart kids and then empower them, you know, they're the ones that, that keep adapting to the changes in the marketplace. And so it it's exciting, but I think for some, some larger old companies, it might be a real challenge. Have you seen that with some of your clients? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that. Something that I, af- I often ask senior leaders to to review before a meeting and again it might sound a little bit odd but i asked them to watch the movie the internship yeah. um be, because i find that that really does demonstrate the 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 challenges the shifts that are necessary in order to accommodate the varying generations and more so the the changes in the younger generation today what they expect how they interact you know you notice in that in that movie if you recall if you've ever seen it there's there's, there's really only one leader um, and he's the guy that leads the entire campaign of uh, the internship for Google. Um, and, and it's the, the very business leader, the hiring leader at the end, the guy with the earphones on, he mm-hmm. comes out of the blue. Nobody ever realized he's actually one of the main managers. And that's, that's really what the future of business will be like. And, you know, it, people today, younger generations, are, are more educated than ever before. They've got information at their fingertips, yeah. uh, which is quite different than the rest of us. So they can make decisions much faster. You know, and the argument I often hear is, well, they don't have the experience. And that's true. Um, and, and, and experience definitely has value. But, you know, they're, they're highly knowledgeable. They're, they have the ability to quickly pick up new skills they challenge the status quo. And again, all of these, these things, these traits or characteristics of the younger generation are really going to force organizations to look at empowerment. And probably if you and I were smart, we'd give it a new name and brand it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and we'd be very popular. But, but that's really what's going to happen. They're going to have to empower their employees to make decisions, take action on their own, uh, because if they don't, they won't have employees. Oh, that's really interesting. And the comment that they don't have experience... I actually think in a lot of cases that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for a credit card bank in the 90s and they preferred to get people right out of school so they could teach them how to think in the business rather than having to untrain them from another kind of older way of approaching business or you know the processes that they did. So I think you could look at that as, as being either you know a good or a bad thing, you know, having experience. Um, well, I mean, unless, of course, you're in a company like Google for 10 years, then you're probably a, a prime candidate for, for any company. Uh, it's, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I was, when you were mentioning that, I was thinking about um, something I recently read. It's a little bit dated now, but it's about the, um, it was on innovation and the idea of the, the Disney Imagineers. And, and, you know, to, to me, again, it, it ties closely into the idea of innovation. In the past, we've looked at innovation as a, you know, kind of a pie in the sky. I'd love to have it. How do I get it? But I think it's going to naturally uh, exist because, again, younger generations are highly creative. Um, they, they're able to tap into knowledge streams and communities of knowledge. You know, if you think about social media, that, mm-hmm. that the rest of us, you know, maybe have some insights into today, but really haven't capitalized on to the extent possible. So they're going to be in a position to introduce a lot of new ideas, a lot of fresh ideas. And again, the companies who are willing to, you know, facilitate that, accept those ideas, you know, act on those ideas, empower employees to act on those ideas are the very companies that are going to attract and sustain or retain uh, their, their younger employees. But the companies that say, no, this is the way we do it. You don't have the experience necessary. Uh, again, they're going to have a hard time finding employees. So I think that's a, that's a good point you raise. Yeah, and I love the fact that you, you talk about um, something naturally existing, like this, maybe this ability to innovate, because that is really a struggle, I think, 
a lot of companies, especially older structured companies or very rigidly structured companies, is that they don't they don't easily innovate. And it sounds like what you're saying, which makes sense, is that by empowering employees and letting them solve problems, innovation is just going to flourish naturally. And the company just has to figure out how to tap it, you know, to, to monetize it or, you know, productionize it or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, that's exactly what I think. I think it's just naturally going to exist and you either facilitate it and tap into it um, or you you try your best to ignore it, and I think the latter is going to be more difficult than the former. Um, and, and if you're pursuing the latter, if you're letting your old way of running, managing, operating the business dominate, uh, you you will have people that will leave consistently. You will not be able to keep people because they won't want to be in that kind of environment. Yeah, they'll be bored or feel again, stifled. particularly younger generational folks who are used to a very open learning. Yeah, stifled. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, and there's a whole new field. Well, I don't know how, I can't say it's brand new, but it's really gaining popularity, which is people analytics. You know, and my background is in statistical analysis, specifically predictive modeling. But my passion is around employee engagement and leadership and innovation and all these more human-based skills. And now there's a whole sort of science coming through, which I think is going to dominate analytics, if you think about it, because this will be what companies start realizing that investments in their employees will will give them the best ROI on you know on their in their investments and and it's because it's where the company has the most leverage um, we're able to now quantify the effects of training and and teaching empathy skills and and things like that so uh, I think it's very exciting so. Um, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was, well, I was just thinking um, when you were, I was thinking about what you were saying, Olivia, and I was, the first thought that come to mind is we, we will know that that is truly a, a trend that is coming to life when we see technology companies capitalizing on it because they tend to be ahead of the curve with offering new solutions. So the more and more we see around software to support people analytics and to quantify training results. I mean, they exist today, but the more prominent those become, you know, maybe, for example, an ERP system gets replaced with a, a, a PRP system, a people resource programming system. Ah. Uh, the, the more we see that, um, you know, I think technology companies are at the forefront of driving the, you know, the decisions made in the companies, not necessarily supporting them, but driving them. Uh, and so I think the more we see that, the more we'll know that that is coming in a will be more prominent. And I think, you know, for the good news for most HR professionals is finally they'll have their day in the sun where they'll be listened to um, mm. relative to what they believe is, is, you know, what the company should be doing, what it should be focused on. Yeah. And I think they'll, companies will actually start to build up their HR departments rather than gutting them, you know, yeah. which yeah, has happened. Exactly. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned the technology companies because I just read that Google created a predictive model using logistic regression, which is, you know, creates a probability um, to know who to hire or who to uh, promote. I forget. It was one or the other. And I think it was for promotion because they they had specific things that they surveyed and put into the model. And the model actually proved to work really well, but the engineers didn't want to use it. So it's that still that resistance that I saw 30 years ago in banking when we'd go to the marketing managers and we'd say, we want you to score all the names using this model and pick the top, you know, 20%. And they'd go, well, no, I have a, I know who my market is. It's these people with these characteristics. And then we'd have to point out, well, you know, a lot of those are in this going to get high scores, but there's a few pockets that won't. And then there's a few over here that are good that you're missing, you know? And so there's this resistance sometimes to having a formula to tell you what to do. Uh, but they're trying. Yeah. And that's, um, and, and I can't recall this time, what was the, the movie, Olivia, where the, the baseball movie where Brad Pitt, they used the calculations oh, to um, pick not the best players. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and again, you know, they used a model, but everybody was against them. But it was mm-hmm. a successful model and it reshaped, you know, how baseball, uh, you know, teams are formed today. But I think that's the uphill battle. That yeah. most uh, most individuals that support modeling and using models will have, just as you had twenty years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that was a really fun movie because it it did. It took uh, people that they would have never looked at, right, but that they knew had these skills and they were trying to f- sort of fill a team to balance it. So it it optimizes the team rather than going after, say, a single individual that's going to be the star. And, yeah, it was really fun to see that prove out. I really liked that. So yeah. thanks yeah. for mentioning that. Well, so uh, we have about a minute before the break, and uh, when we come back, I'd love to explore some of the stuff you have in your ebook about building a company that customers value, and then also tying in how employee being empowered and being engaged, and you know all the things that we've just talked about can help a company build a company. Uh, build a business at their customers' value. So I think we'll take a break now. Um, I just want to reintroduce my guest is Sean Casemore, and you can learn more about Sean's work at www.casemoreandco.com. You can grab his free ebook, Build a Business Your Customers Value. You can follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Casemore at Sean Casemore. And um, this is Olivia. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24 7. It's in the home, it's on the go, it's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth. And in general, people don't want to discuss their money. Until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money. Featuring Franco Calajuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. 
Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with my guest, Sean Casemore. And before the break, we were talking about capitalizing employee empowerment and how you can empower employees, what are some of the risks of, of doing it in a way that maybe won't serve your company, what are some of the problems with um, getting it implemented. Um, a lot of times leaders are resistant to giving that much power away, and, and sometimes they just want to measure things really quickly, and so they don't leave enough time to really get the benefit from empowered employees. But Overall, a company will be much more agile and able to adapt to market changes and be successful in the long run with empowered employees. And so now I'd like to talk a little bit about the topic of your ebook, your free ebook on your website, Case Moore & Co., uh, called Build a Business Your Customers Value. So when you think about how companies build value, um, there's, I guess, a lot of different ways, but why do you think it's important that a business is valued by its customers? I guess we'll start there. Uh, well, Olivia, what I found uh, through some of my work and even my studies uh, with of different businesses, even of different sizes, is that you know whether it's a company of you know of a few people or a, a large organization, there are numerous. Uh, people in the sales and marketing team, uh, and they're out there doing what they believe they need to do to sell, but they're taking directives from those often inside the business who are not necessarily interacting with the customers on a day-to-day basis. So what ends up happening is we're selling, we're marketing and selling based on old or past practices, and we're not really touching base with the customer to help them, you know, help us understand what it is that they truly value. So, uh, you know, if you look at consumers today, our habits have transitioned that most of us are buying online. We recently went through Christmas and I often take a survey, who's buying online today and who was buying online five years ago? And invariably, nobody was five years ago and almost everybody is today. But mm. how, how would you know that you should put an, a shopping cart or an online store up for your website? You know, the only way is to really be interacting and asking your customers, what is it that you value of my products or services today? What would you like to see us offer or change in the future? Um, you know, that kind of intel is really what a business should be built around. But again, we're, you know, I, I guess the example I can give you is I have a client who who sells their products through distributors. And what they've told me time and again is that distributors today, uh, because, you know, sales are hard to come by, they're carrying more and more manufacturers uh, because they're trying to maintain consistent revenue. Mm. Rather than target and hone in on a certain niche, understand exactly what that niche values and then provide that value. So I think we're going about selling our goods and services uh, backwards to what we should be. We need to be interacting with and understanding what our customers value and then building our businesses around that. So it sounds like if a company is trying to accommodate a large population, maybe varied population, have you ever recommended that, like it sounds like you said, you know, focus on a niche, would they actually have to shrink the company? Is that part of it? Well, not as much. Well, it could be shrink in some cases, but it's more repositioning. Here's an example I'll give you. I work with, a, again, a different example than I gave before. So it's a large, large distributor, uh, and they were competing with some distributors who were selling via their website. So they're selling industrial supplies. Mm. So some of their competitors are selling right in their website. Same products, pricing is listed, shopping cart exists, etc. This company did not have one. They also had a services sector of their business that their competitors you know, did not have where they're actually not only selling products, but they're going in, they're installing them, they're managing, you know, their own products on your site for you. And they found that was growing in their business and they were competing with different companies in that arena. So you know, what I did for them is I went and interviewed some of their customers to see what's going well, what's not going well. And we took that feedback and helped them reposition. They were thinking they needed to go and start to sell more stuff online. What we realized through talking to their customers and looking at, you know, sales revenues and sales opportunities is that what they really should do is forget the commodity sales business and focus solely on the services. So they'd only supply products through their services that they would sell because it was a, a much better upcharge and much better opportunity there. So they ended up shifting their entire business model. It took several years uh, in order to, to focus and, or capitalize on that opportunity. And in doing so, they stayed out of the commodity market. They're able to actually build their margins rather than compete for shrinking margins. That's really smart because I think 
the service element is the one thing that can't be commoditized, right? Um, it's very hard for a company to give the exact same service as another company. And, you know, Zappos has kind of proven that yeah. that if you yeah. just wow your customers with with good service, they're willing to pay more. So mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, and they're just selling, I mean, they were originally just selling shoes, right? I think now mm-hmm. they're in handbags and all sorts of stuff. But it, it really, the, the services side, as you, as you mentioned, really is how you can differentiate. But it all starts with, you know, what do your customers value? And, and I don't think, uh, and sales and marketing people will not like me for saying this, but I don't think it makes sense to solely rely on, you know, your, the, the feedback from your sales folks. I think that's one <laughs> avenue. But, you know, they're gonna, what, what they're focused on, and rightfully so, is making a commission and, and making money and paying their bills at home. Uh, that, that doesn't necessarily mean they're solely focused on what your customers may want because if they can't sell it or if they don't have it to sell, they're going to move on to the next customer. So really building a business isn't just changing what you're doing. It's positioning yourself for the future based on what your customers' demands and needs are both today and tomorrow. Yeah, and I think historically the, the demand was more stable. So probably the salesperson was successful for many years because consumers just didn't have the variety and the, you know, the amount of new opportunities for places and products and, and services and I guess um, that's really what's different now that that makes it much more important to know what the customers want and continue to want, I guess, today and in the future. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the example I give is um, I, I bought a, a new car, um, I guess it was early last year, and I travel quite a bit. So the only opportunity I had to buy the car was online. So I con- contacted a couple of dealers looking at their cars. You know, they had an inventory and I decided to, to order one. Uh, and there was one dealer that wouldn't work with me at all. They said, you have to come in and meet with us. So they didn't get my business. Mm. Uh, the next dealer said, well, we can help you, but we've got this car on the lot. We're, we're not going to order you one that's any different. Um, and, and then the third dealer said, you know what, whatever you want, they sent me examples of cars that they found in stock at different dealerships that had the features I was looking for. Well, I ended up buying from them because they serviced my needs. And as, and indiv- as individuals, as consumers, we're all getting very accustomed to having you know, products and services that are suited for us. So then from that point, we really have to you know, think about the business itself. How do we position our business to service those needs? It's no longer acceptable to say, I've got a store. It's on the corner. Here's what I sell if you want it come get it. You know, the, the businesses, the brick and mortar businesses today are struggling, many of them, mm-hmm. uh, because they have to find a way to differentiate. But if they can differentiate, think about Starbucks, who is you know, selling coffee for twice the price, if not three times the price of anybody else, and making a mint at it. Well, why are they doing that? It's, it's partially the experience. People want a place to go. They want a place to sit down and chat. They're okay with the fancy plugs that go on the top of your coffee. They want a wooden stir stick. They want corrugated wrapped around it to protect their hand. They're willing to pay for that. And, and most people I know will buy the cheap coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, but they see Starbucks as a treat. So Starbucks has realized for some people, they'll be an everyday solution. For others, they'll be a treat. But they're going to stick with offering you know, high-quality products to a mm-hmm. specific marketplace and continue to try and hone in on what the customer wants. Customer wants Wi-Fi. Years ago, you have Wi-Fi. Now they want breakfast. They want snacks. They want, you know, I think uh, Starbucks has recently um, testing out bringing wine in because they realize that customers actually love the experience and the networking opportunity that Starbucks provides. And, you know, if you don't want to drink coffee, the next best thing is wine. So they've actually introduced wine. So there's a company that's doing really well with continuing to tap into what their customers value. But I find most businesses are not doing that and hence they're struggling to not only exist but to find their existence. Well, why do you think they are missing this opportunity? Well, I, I think it goes back to what we said before. I think it's it's a you know, and this is a general term or general statement, I guess, but it's it's less of a focus on people, be it employees, customers, and more of a focus on models and and processes. Now, I'm a big fan of of continuous improvement. I do a lot of work in the area or the arena of lean. But you know, if you go back to the, the premise of lean, is really about building or or uh, affecting processes that provide value to customers. And, and so my whole take on 
build the business, your customer's value is using tools and approaches like Lean, which put the customer first. But in a business, the very customers of the business internally are the employees because they're the ones affecting and delivering the products, the services that are, are being provided to the actual customer. So you need to engage them, and going back to our earlier conversation, empower them and involve them in order to build this business that customers value. But if you think of that from a corporate standpoint or a business standpoint, where are the numbers that show that this works? I can tell somebody the example of Starbucks, but let's say, let's find that's a coffee shop. That's not me. I'm distributing widgets or I'm selling electrical panels. That doesn't make sense for me at all. Uh, but then the very problem they have is trying to supply their market. Uh, I just was yesterday at a, at a company. Uh, they manufacture wood furniture and they used to sell high volume furniture. Now they're, you know, they're selling onesies, twosies. They haven't changed their manufacturing process and they're struggling because they can't justify producing one two, two excuse me one or two pieces at a time and what i said is well you need to move away from batch processing processing in 20s 50s 100s and change your process to facilitate onesies twosies and i mean that's a big change but you need to do that well they said, well no no we don't need to do that no we just got to figure out how to do it in our current model hmm. well that that doesn't make any sense at all. And it's not serving your customer. Your customer no longer wants 50 and 100. They want one and two. So you have to change or build your business around that value. If you're not going to do it, you're going to struggle. And, and that's exactly what's happening to them. Yeah, it's almost like I think years ago we talked about a market of one, but trying to figure out exactly what each customer wants. And of course, you can't run a business like that. But I think the closer you aim for that and give up trying to be the biggest company in the world that's going to sell to everybody, but just do really well to a certain market uh, is really the way it sounds like you're describing is the way to do well in business. Yeah, well, I, I think the the last, I tend to get on a rant here, but I'll, I'll uh, the last example I'll give is if you think about um, when Henry Ford built, uh, you know, the first model, model A, model T, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, and and he, I think the stories go that as as GM introduced different colors, um, he said no, black is the way. And so so <laughs> that's right. On one case, uh, he was really an individual who perfected mass production. He, so he perfected mass produ- production, made a ton of money doing it. But eventually, uh, Ford got into trouble because that model worked so well, and he didn't want to move away from it. And as customers gained more options and more opportunities, they wanted more. Uh, but Henry Ford didn't want to give it to them. Look at Rim um, up in up here in Canada. You know they were they were f- so focused on having these little keys on their keyboard, and they felt that not only did that work for ten years, but it's going to work for the future, even though everybody is going to touchscreen. And so the fact they didn't make that move. Uh, mm. meant that you know the company lost, I think, something like $75 billion in value in the period of a couple of years. Was that the BlackBerry? Or yeah. Was it, okay. Yeah. yeah, RIM is the producer of BlackBerry. Wow. So I never really knew what happened there. That's fascinating. And there's, yeah, I mean, there's the whole Swiss watch story about how digital watches came out and they didn't want to switch and um, really hurt them. Yeah, there's just, I guess, a lot of, Companies that failed because of that inability to adjust to the demand. You know, there was something you said before. Yeah, and, and oh, that, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, well, I was just going to say, and that ties back into our conversation around the people aspect. You know, if, if you look at it, and again, I, I've not been there, but the if you read about you know Rim, the producer for BlackBerry. It, from all the different reports and stories and articles, it sounds like the agreement and disagreement, if you will, versus the keys, you know, do we keep our keyboard or do we go to touchless? It w- really was a senior executive battle. On one hand, there's a couple of people that wanted to keep the keyboard and there's a couple of people that didn't. The people that wanted to keep it kept it um, and the business, you know, quickly diminished. But if you were to go out and talk to, I think they had something like 4,500 or maybe even over over 5,000 employees, if you were to talk to those employees, probably many of them had an iPhone, loved the, the, the touchscreen capability, and wondered why they were still using these silly little keyboards that nobody could really use anymore. You know, so, so there's kind of the tie-in that if yeah. you're, if, you know, when, you're, when you're interacting with your customers to understand what they value, in many cases realize that your customers are also your employees. You yeah. know, if, I'm, if I'm producing cars, guess what? Every one of my employees, or most of them, probably drive a car. You know, so you can all, almost tap into your own intelligence network by using your employees. But again, most companies don't think of that. It, it doesn't make sense to do so in their mind. That's really brilliant. Um, yeah, because any large company is going to 
most likely unless they sell some very specific, you know, industrial, whatever. But if they're selling anything that's mass marketed, they would be able to just use their employees for that resource as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so again, it's all to me, this all kind of connects together. In the ebook, I specifically talk about rethinking sales, rethinking marketing, rethinking oper- you know, operations itself. But you know, if you look at it from a broader perspective, um, y- you can almost, you know, it's, it's difficult to tie some industries into obtaining intelligence. But, you know, t- talk to, go to a hospital. And, and if you want to understand patient and client care, you know, most hospitals will talk to the patients and say, what went well, what didn't go well. But mm-hmm. what, what about the people delivering? the service. I mean, talk to any doctor or nurse. They'll tell you what's wrong. They'll mm-hmm. tell you, I've got too many calls. I can't get to everybody in time or, you know, wh- whatever the case is. But again, you know, top down management hierarchy. How do you go up to, well, and I guess here's the other thing I'll mention that tends to occur. Any frontline or middle manager will filter information as it bubbles to the top. So I've been a frontline supervisor. People, you know, in the past brought me concerns and challenges. Sometimes I chose to pass that on. Sometimes I didn't. Uh, when I did pass it on, somebody above me might filter it and say, yeah, that's not that important right now. Well, it's all important because it, it helps us really build and structure uh, and position the organization to be more powerful, more effective. But we tend to filter that information or, or ignore it. And then we don't, you know, we can't, we can't understand why aren't people engaged? Why aren't they interacting and being more involved? Yeah, uh, and I will encourage people listening to go to last week's show. David Dibble, he wrote a book called The Four Agreements at Work, which is based on the original Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, And one of them is to take a systems approach. And he claims that you can bypass any of these organizational change processes if you just sit down. And he uses the hospital example, which reminded me of it, where you go just get a whiteboard, sticky notes, and have everybody say, what is it that keeps you from getting your job done? And then you'll start to see patterns, and then you create it. You know, you empower the team, you give people certain tasks to go solve the problems. And he said, this hospital improved so much within a couple years that they were using these processes he taught them. You know, their profits went way up. And then they got a, a new manager or a new CEO, and that CEO dismantled everything. And they went into like a $9 million deficit. And then the board got rid of that CEO and assigned the guy that was one of the team leaders under the systems approach to be CEO. And within 11 months, they had raised the, gone from a $9 million deficit to a $1 million surplus because they already had all the systems and everybody knew how to do everything. But it was all based on what you're saying, finding out what the doctors, what the nurses knew, and even talking to patients and saying, what's wrong here? And then just setting out to solve the problems. And it was so simple. It make, he said, you don't need to go to Harvard Business School to be able to do this stuff, right? Yeah, and, and, and I, I mean, we, we talked before the show. I'm currently working on a, on a book, uh, my first book for McGraw-Hill. Uh, in, in, I mean, it's still in a working title form, so the title may change, but it, at, at present, it's entitled Operational Empowerment. It really, it, it's structured a lot around what we're talking about, which is, you know, how do I improve or empower my operations uh, to, to, you know, uh, dominate over my competition? Because uh, I think as you and I discussed at the outset, if you look a lot, a lot of companies today, their, their competitors have similar technology, similar equipment, similar buildings, similar locations. Um, so the only differentiating factor really is the people. And if you can get their hearts and minds involved, then you've got people that will, you know, potentially, ideally work harder, work smarter, work faster than the competition. That is one of the, the few ways to actually dominate your, your business, your market, your niche. But again, it's hard to quantify that. So a lot of companies shy away and say, well, let, rather than do that, let's put a new sales system in place or let's put a new technology, piece of, piece of software technology in place. That's going to fix everything because it's a quick fix. And as individuals, again, we're all used to quick fix, right? If I want something, I go get it. Yeah. We as individuals manage companies and have that same view and opinion. Uh, but, but, you know, empowering people is not a quick fix. It's a longer program. But if you can achieve it, you will slowly see results. 
Well, maybe people analytics will really shift this because we're going to be able to start quantifying this. And also, I remember when I was writing my book, Business Intelligence Success Factors, which is all about the skills we need to be, you know, the human skills we need. I read an article in Harvard Business Review that I included in my research that talked about how when a manager was sort of guided to feel empathy for an employee, that their mirror neurons actually synced up, that they could show scientifically that there that was something going on, which I think is really, it's not something maybe quantifiable, but it does show that there, there's a physiological effect to this stuff. It's not just all woo-woo or, you know, feel-good um, theory. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think too that, you know, if, if you go back to our last point there on, on my ebook. It is tying together the idea that, you know, most people that read the ebook, they get back to me and say, wow, Sean, I mean, some of your stuff here is kind of counterintuitive to what, what's happening today, but it all makes complete sense. Uh, <laughs> can, can you prove this? And I mean, I can go on with different examples, but, you know, I think the key for businesses today is really, you know, if you can engage more with your people. And don't use the word engage, such as a fluffy word, but think about that as the standpoint of can I involve people more in what's going on in the business? Can I ask and involve them in solving the problems that that we're having? Can I obtain from them intelligence and information that will help us build this company or this business to be stronger than it is today? If you can tap into them as a resource, obtain this information and act upon it, you're going to have people that are happier, more productive, they want to come into work, and you're going to set yourself apart from the competition because if you go to any business, that's not necessarily what's happening, either purposefully or otherwise. Well, that's really inspiring. And I think not even just to solve problems, but the innovation, as we said, comes from can come from the employee base. Uh, I remember a guy, Robert Krager, he wrote a book called Sacred Cows Make the Best Burgers. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and he would go into companies and find out what they were attached to and figure out. You know, it's a little different topic, but but the idea of the taco pizza, which basically saved Taco Bell, came from one of the people in housekeeping that he was just going around and talking to people. So, yeah, there's just so many great ideas that can come from empowering employees. So we have about 30 seconds left. Do you have any final advice for our listeners or... No, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you know, feel free to visit my website again, uh, com and pick up a free copy of that ebook or connect with me on Twitter at Sean Casemore and uh, provide lots of insights and ideas uh, further to what we've been speaking about. Well, thank you. It's just been such a pleasure to have you on my show today and I hope you'll come back again. I will do. Thanks. So for a full description of our next show and other upcoming shows as well as access to all past shows and guest bios, please visit www.quant.com quantumbusinessinsights.com. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parrud, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.